Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back here to Strength to Strength. Uh, my name is Bryant, as you all, most of you probably know, uh, from State College, and excited to have Zach Barkman with us here this morning. And he's coming to us from the country of Thailand and the city of Chiang Mai, uh, where he and his wife um, and their little son, Judson, um, and another child, soon to come, <laughs> are there studying linguistics at Payap University. Um, Zach is a member with All Nations Bible Translation, uh, a member in training. He clarified that a little bit ago. Uh, with me, uh, which is right, um, but he's kind of between the member in training stage and being a field member, actually getting to the field. Um, Zach has a real interest in the, the Asia, um, Bibleist people groups there, and um, our prayer is that God would lead him and, and a team uh, into that part of the world there to see God's word get translated uh, into, into their language. And uh, Zach, uh, tell me, how old are you? I'm 26. Zach is 26 years old, so he's a young man. Um, he's a man who um, has been applying himself for the last number of years, uh, for a long time, actually, in just being um, a faithful follower of Jesus. Zach has a real vision to see the kingdom of God spread on earth and that's the vision that he's held for a long time, which is um, why we have him on here this morning. Uh, he, he's been interested in evangelism for years. And um, I'm curious, Zach, when, how, as you think back um, through your life, what, when you hit the streets uh, to go evangelizing or you had to go out reaching people, um, I know that's a part of your life and what really put you what and out of that you know came this um came this um this paper that you wrote or this and this talk you're gonna be giving this morning but um how, how young what was your age that you got out on the streets telling people about jesus uh <clears throat> i think i was 18 first actually it was when my family moved here and uh my i had a friend here who would uh he was fairly fairly charismatic he would drag me out to the uh the uh, night markets where there were a lot of foreigners, a lot of tourists and, sure. um, and uh, go pray, let's go pray for people. And uh, so that's when I really started, uh, started getting yeah. into it. Took some sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, that's, that's, that's great. So um, when Zach was um, at God's Bible school, um, studying Greek and, and preparing to be a, a translator, um, he had a class here on evangelism, and, and he wrote this paper called Witnessing Jesus. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a title that says, what? Like, what are you, what are you shooting for here in this, in this paper? And uh, so recently I heard uh, Zach um, talk about, uh, share a, a topic uh, on this paper that he wrote. And I said, uh, Zach, you need to, we need to get you on strength, 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 and have you talk about that here. So it's good to have you with us here this morning, Zach. We're looking forward to hearing you share. And I know this is a, a group of people on this call who, who care deeply too about um, being a faithful witness for Jesus and his kingdom. And uh, we're, we're always thinking about what, what does that look like? So looking forward to seeing what you have to share 
Um, before we get started, let's just have a, have a word of prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you uh, for your mercies that are new this morning. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can come to you in confidence, uh, with, with joy, with hope. And it's not just because um, Jesus has died on the cross, but as it says there in Romans 8, but furthermore, he is risen and he is seated at, 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 at your right hand, at God's right hand, at our Father's right hand, and he's interceding for us there. And so that gives us much hope, much um, rest, and much peace in knowing that. And also, uh, we, we know that, that Jesus commissioned us to go uh, and be witnesses of yours to all the earth. And so, Father, I ask, Lord, that as, as Zach shares, give him uh, the words to speak, give him a clear mind, Father, and may you be glorified. And may your kingdom come in a new way uh, through this talk. And so, so God, direct us, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It's, it's all yours, Zach. Um, by the way, Glenn, um, Zach will want to share his screen. So hopefully you got that set up there for him. Okay. So all yours. Hey, let me start by sharing my screen here, just so I don't forget later. And it's, um, so are you able to see my screen now? Yep. That's right. Very good. It's good to be with you all. I think this is the third time I've made it live uh, to join you. And um, actually recently here as we moved to Thailand and got our home set up here, I've had a lot more time to listen while I was cleaning up our, uh, our yard and things like that. So I've been catching up on the podcast and really have enjoyed the, um, the, the I think it's King and Country series has been a huge encouragement to me. And uh, so for those of you in charge of this, thank you for what you're doing. It's been a huge blessing to me. I think, uh, I think the timing's interesting as well. Was it um, Bill, I want to say Shiley. What was his last name? That's correct. Yes, Bill Shiley. So I really enjoyed his talk and identified a lot with, um, with him uh, and, and might dovetail a bit with that, but, but great to be with you all. The title I have here is Witnessing Jesus, and that's supposed to be a double meaning. So the title Witnessing Jesus, uh, Modern Methods of Evangelism in Light of Jesus's Gospel Conversations. Uh, kind of a twofold meaning there. Like Bryant talked about um, ever since, um, yeah, God really started working in my life here in, in Asia. Uh, one major part of that has been going out and doing ministry with strangers. That's looked a variety of different ways. Um, if you've seen people out preaching or praying or talking to people, it's likely that I've, I've used one of those methods uh, that you've seen and, or been with people that have. And, and I don't give that. And I'm, so I've been doing this for about um, eight years now. And uh, a lot of campus ministry during the time that I was studying in Cincinnati, Ohio, I was studying Hebrew and Greek there in preparation to do Bible translation. I don't give that background uh, to, um, yeah, I give it as background, not to um, say that I have attained, because as you'll see here, this paper came out of 
a lot of conviction um, in, in light of sort of the second part of the meaning of this talk, witnessing Jesus, in light of studying the way Jesus interacted with people compared to the ways maybe I had. And, uh, and that conviction came out of um, years and years of doing this and not seeing fruit um, that I would have liked to see. And maybe that's uh, a perfectionism or, or something that's, that's wrong with me, but certainly aspiring to see more fruit and more souls for the kingdom. Um, so I just want to share here, and I hope at the end of this talk that all of us can see the beauty of, of the way that Jesus interacts with people and loves people, and um, that we can be encouraged um, to, to do the same and uh, to present the gospel in ways that are appropriate to the hear and that honor the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's my goal. And I also want to look at some, some methods of evangelism as well. So witnessing Jesus, uh, the last time you talked to a stranger about Jesus, how did you feel? Um, a lot of us feel nervous. This, this talk will really be focusing on, um, you know, there, there are many ways to share the gospel, but this talk will be focusing on when we interact with strangers. Okay. So the discipleship, um, and those things that come afterwards and along with that, um, and relational evangelism, uh, that's, that's a bit of a different conversation. I want to talk about the ways first interactions with people whether you're going out on the street in order to talk to people, preach to people, pray for people, or whether you meet somebody in an elevator or an airplane. And that first conversation, how does that, how does that go? Well, a lot of us um, are afraid, actually, to have spiritual conversations. I've been doing this for eight years, and I still get nervous to talk to strangers. I am an introvert. I don't think of myself as a gifted evangelist. I don't know if I have the gift of an evangelist, the spiritual gift, but I believe we've all been called to preach the gospel. And so this is the ways that it's looked in my life. And so uh, some statistics that reflect this, 7% of Americans, if that's your context, frequently have spiritual conversations. So it's not only, um, so yeah, Americans at large just don't even talk about these things much. And 79% of people I think this is of Christians have spiritual conversations less than once a week. So that's kind of the, the culture that at least in America uh, we're going into. And, and often there's a lot of fear involved with that. Now, uh, a lot of us don't know how to begin in, in our evangelism and the way we share with people. And that's where, you know, people have stepped up to write books and, and give methods and, and um, things like that to try and help us to, well, how do you start a conversation? How do you share the gospel of Jesus? Now, often these aren't from as much of a kingdom or Anabaptist perspective as what, as what I, I've enjoyed listening to here on, on the strength to strength, uh, the content here. And so, um, but just attempts to get believers out uh, witnessing and one one of those you know for me maybe you've heard of Ray Comfort his uh, his his message those kind of things um, and so just looking at that here um, first I want to look at 
I want to look a lot at the message because later on in my talk, I'm going to talk about the message that Jesus brought to people. And that's something that has been focused on heavily here in the King and Country series. But first, I want to talk about, I think, some problems. Maybe you have used these methods. Maybe you've seen them. And from my experience, um, what may be wrong with them? So maybe you've heard of the four spiritual laws. This was... um, founded by Bill Bright when he started Campus Crusade for Christ in 1951. And they had this, this tract, uh, the four spiritual laws. If you've never heard them, it goes like this. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. That's number one. Number two, all of us sin and our sin has separated us from God. Number three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin. And number four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. So obviously, Campus Crusade for Christ, um, quite an upfront name for for what they wanted to do. Now now known as crew, but for uh, trying to reach people with the message of the gospel. And and this was the message that they shared, Um, these four spiritual laws. It aims to be a synthesis of what the Bible says about the gospel. So this is trying to provide that summarized. Um, it's just trying to be clear. Obviously, it's short. But I've become convinced that the four spiritual laws are, uh, I'll say it this way, much less effective today than they may have been when they were originally presented. Maybe they were very effective, you know, 70 years ago. Um, but I, I don't think that the message communicates what we're trying to communicate, um, um, especially for those of us who are trying to invite people into the kingdom and, and bring a message um, that, that is on par with what the, the historic faith was. So what, what are the issues with the four spiritual laws? Um, well, I think in talking to a lot of people, atheists, agnostics, and mostly college students who are incredibly post-Christian and have so little concept of what the Bible's story is, that the four laws um, presents the message here as a bunch of laws, or now they've changed it to principles. So I don't know if that reflects a change in in their organization. Uh, We don't like the word law anymore. You know, um, four principles that removes it from the Bible's story, right? So this is, I was thinking about this again in hearing um, the talk on strength to strength about um, the Old Testament prophecies, leading people to Christ from the Old Testament. But, but this presents the message um, completely removed from God's creation of the world, from Adam and Eve, from the story of Israel. And it makes, I think, Jesus' coming, his first coming, an arbitrary occurrence that could have, and honestly, if you just read this, these four laws probably should have, occurred at the very beginning of history instead of 2,000 years ago. Um, there's no concept of, of, of God's um, story of redemption, where history is going, and um, God's uh, will for the world. D.A. Carson observed this. Uh, he wasn't talking about this method necessarily, but here's what he said. And I don't have this on the slide, so I'll read this here. He says, in the past, 
evangelism presupposed that most unbelievers, whether they were atheists or agnostics or deists or theists, knew that the Bible begins with God, uh, that he made the universe. Uh, Virtually everyone knew that the Bible has two testaments. History moves in a straight line. They knew that Christians believe there's a heaven to be gained. Uh, Christmas, they knew, was bound up with Jesus' birth. Good Friday and Easter with Jesus' death and resurrection. Those were the givens. So what we pushed, B.A. Carson says, what we pushed in evangelism was the seriousness of sin, the freedom of grace, who Jesus really is, what his death is about, and the urgency of repentance and faith. And then he ends by saying this, that was evangelism. I don't think that is enough for everyone anymore because of the way um, that a lot of our culture, a lot of the West, I would say, has become incredibly post-Christian. Contemporary presentations of the gospel, I think, desperately need a restoration of the story, Um, both the Old and New Testaments, that gives this language of sin and, and, and plan for your life and these things meaning. And under these conditions, um, D.A. Carson wrote, evangelism means starting further back. So you'll find if you start going out, and I know many of you probably have, have done this a lot, talking to strangers about Jesus. And a lot of people don't have a concept of what the Bible is really about, of, of the kingdom, especially that Jesus was, um, was bringing, and, and that the kingdom is, uh, is in our midst now because of Jesus' coming, the death and resurrection, and much less concepts of, of how to get in that kingdom, right, which is um, sometimes called the, the plan of salvation. So, so I think there are two things um, with this method that we need to be careful about. Maybe, maybe you've used it, um, but that we should watch. Um, and that's that it, it doesn't start far enough back, and it presents it as an abstract message without um, the story of the kingdom of God coming to earth and, and present salvation in that framework as, as a way to become part of the kingdom. Now, um, I did not use this method as heavily as this one, Ray Comfort. And I want to start out here by saying that I don't think I would be um, in a lot of ways who I am without uh, Ray Comfort's influence I would encourage anyone to emulate, maybe you've watched Ray Comfort's YouTube videos, and it's been mentioned on this um, podcast before um, as being influential. I would encourage anyone to emulate Ray Comfort's care and concern for people and the, the ways that he often interacts with people and, um, and, is, and is able to communicate, I think, often the love of Christ to people. But what about the message that he preaches? The way of the master here. Here's the title, the way of the master, right? And um, it claims to be the way that that Jesus um, would preach the gospel. So let's evaluate his claims, right? Um, Because this is claiming to be the way. And it was attempted attempt to be a correction to the prosperity gospel. Um, that was also very prevalent in the West. Um, well, and now in the 
and the global south and the third world as well. Um, so I began my experience in sharing my faith uh, a lot with the, the aid and inspiration of Ray Comfort's materials. So I know how effective they can be. Um, but I have become convinced uh, a lot from watching people imitate him <laughs> and from my own ministry that his message is unbalanced as well. And, uh, you know, that's an ironic critique for a book that claims to be the way the master, but I think it can lead us to, to a damaging failure to talk to people like Jesus would. Here's what I think, and you know, and maybe you've heard this approach. Um, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? In Ray Comfort's New Zealand, uh, New Zealand accent. Uh, that's all the New Zealand attempt you get from me. Uh, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Uh, and then you go through them with the person. Uh, and this is based on um, the concept through the law. Romans 3.20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so then you ask them, you go through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Well, what does that make you? Um, have you ever have you ever stolen anything? And uh, you'd be amazed. And then they, if they say yes, you say, well, what does that make you? You'd be amazed how many people say stealer at that point instead of thief. Uh, but nonetheless, um, so the way of the master. I think it's interesting that the backbone of this approach is also based on the book of Romans which was actually written to Christians. And I don't think it takes into account the way that Paul himself, who wrote Romans, presents, presents his gospel in, in a lot of contexts. So Paul preached the gospel to strangers many times in the book of Acts. And surely we should, you know, some of those situations were, are parallel to modern-day evangelism. And um, maybe they merit consideration. But no, this book focuses on the content of the book of Romans you know, walking through chapters one, two, and three of the um, um, revelation and, and those who disobey the law all are under sin and then bring in the gospel. Now, um, why I think this goes astray is because then this approach maps this back onto Jesus. Instead of taking Jesus, the way he interacts with people, the good news that he preaches to people, and starting there, it, it starts with a couple of chapters in Romans and maps that on to all of Jesus' interactions and actually influences what stories we look at when we go to look at Jesus. Um, and, and so he brings out the, uh, the rich young ruler would be probably his favorite account that Jesus, you know, confrontationally quotes the commandments and, um, Apparently, according to Ray Comfort, tries to bring conviction that way. Now, I agree that the evangelist must talk to people. When we're sharing with people, we need to share with people about sin and, um, and about judgment. Paul does that in Acts 17 and it's, and it's addressed to the pagans. Um, but we can't rely on a systematic and scripted approach to every single person. This is the problem with technique in general. Um, th this becomes a script that we use to try and get the message of the gospel to people. And it short circuits the process of what I think we are called to do in listening to people and what I think the Holy Spirit wants to do in leading us into um, to sharing a word in season, uh, to sharing something that will actually touch the hearts of people. And more on that later. 
Um, I spent many hours after years of doing evangelism, I spent many hours studying Jesus. And we're going to look at that in a bit here. Here's another method. Um, <laughs> how, how should we share with them? I, I assume we would all know that a very upfront, brazen way like this, maybe you've seen the, the sidewalk prophets with the very bold and sometimes vulgar signs shouting about sin and judgment and, and those kind of things. And at the University of Cincinnati, where I went, there was a, a gentleman who would um, come and hold, uh, hold a sign uh, um, with pictures of aborted babies. Um, obviously, we all are against that horrific um, act, of, uh, act of murder. But the way that he would uh, yell at people uh, scream at the college students and, and um, uh, was far from the way that we can see that Jesus interacted with people. So that's another way that, that maybe you've seen, hopefully not used. So we've looked at three techniques and I think the problem with all of these can, can also be, like I said, that what we can eventually do, and I'll just be vulnerable here, what I eventually did was come to rely too much on a script or on a certain way to present the gospel that wasn't sensitive to what the Holy Spirit may have wanted to speak to them or what they were struggling with. And Oz Guinness wrote a book called Fool's Talk. I would highly recommend this book. Um, he is a, uh, an apologist. And um, he lambasted <laughs> technique in apologetics specifically as the devil's bait, he called it. Technique is the devil's bait, is what Osgin has said in his book. Again, Fool's Talk. And Fool's Talk is a masterpiece on uh, the art of Christian communication and um, apologetics and persuasion. Osgenis says this, quote, Jesus never spoke to two people the same way. I think we'll find that's true. Uh, continuing with the quote, and neither should we. Every single person is unique and deserves an approach that respects that uniqueness. And um, so the word witness, this is what I did. You know, we talk about going witnessing or being a witness for Jesus. What does it mean? One that gives evidence, specifically one who testifies in a cause or before a judicial tribunal. Or uh, second definition here, I think this was in Merriam-Webster, one who has personal knowledge of something. And I like that definition because of the way that we are supposed to reach people with personal knowledge of Jesus and the Holy Spirit guiding us in our conversations and our gospel conversations. So Jesus's way um, Jesus's way. If we look in the Gospels, take a cross section and remember what Oz Guinness said, Jesus never spoke to two people the same way. Let's just take a cross section here from Matthew 4:17 through 19. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Here in only 
I should say three verses. We have a message that maybe resonates with different people, um, two different kinds of ways that people would maybe rely on. But Jesus does it right back to back here um, in public, preaching repentance and, um, and the kingdom uh, that's come near. Something, the kingdom, something that's massively missing from modern apologetics and evangelism. But then he sees a couple brothers fishing, you know, out on their day job. Obviously, a couple brothers who um, who would have been familiar with the the Torah, the Tanakh, the uh, the Hebrew scriptures. But his his approach is different. Come, follow me. An invitation to follow him. And really, obviously, this is unique to, uh, in some sense, to the apostles, but can also apply to us. I will send you out to fish for people. A commission to be fishers of men um, and to bring people into the kingdom. So look at how Jesus presents it in two different ways here, just in a couple of verses. John 4, the, the Samaritan woman. This will be familiar to a lot of us, but the way that Jesus interacts, he meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And how does he start the conversation? Give me a drink. Could you please give me a drink? You know, have you ever started a gospel conversation that, that way? And then she talks about how he can't draw water. Um, well, she's surprised, first of all, that he's even talking to her. Uh, this shouldn't be happening uh, because he was a respectable Jew and, and she was a Samaritan. So Jesus is crossing barriers here. But I, I want to look at the message that Jesus gives. And I don't have the text pulled up here, but in John 4, um, Jesus said, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you rivers of living water. So what's Jesus doing here? Is he bringing up the, is he bringing up the law? You know, um, later we find out Jesus knows that she has had uh, five husbands and the man she's living with now is not her husband. Does Jesus bring the law down on her? In a, in a, in a, okay, which of the commandments have you broken? And what does that make you? No, he, he talks about her thirst and something that maybe she wasn't aware she was thirsting for. He talks about the living water that he's able to give her. And he says, you will never thirst again. You know, she's walking out to this well uh, out of the city in the heat of the day, presumably because she was, um, ostracized from society and couldn't go in the cool of the morning with the other women. And Jesus says, you will never thirst again um, if, you, if you know who I am. And uh, the way that Jesus knew her. John says at the end of chapter 2 that Jesus didn't need any to testify of men, for he knew what was in me. And that's something that we need to think about when we think about interacting with people. So the Samaritan woman. Mark 10, 17-27, the rich young ruler. Now this, um, some people like part of this account where Jesus addresses the rich young ruler, asks him if he's kept the commandments. Uh, he says, yes, and Jesus says, one thing you lack. Well, what modern books that rely on that account don't go on to mention is, you know, that Jesus didn't give the four spiritual laws. Jesus didn't give the um, repent and believe in me. What does he say to the rich young ruler? Uh, sell all that you have, give to the poor and come follow me. So there's the invitation to follow. 
the invitation to the kingdom, but the message is completely different. And Jesus says things that we wouldn't be comfortable with saying um, to the rich young ruler. Maybe a more harsh approach, but again, that verse in John 2, um, Jesus knew what was in them. And, um, and just look at the variety of Jesus. So note the beautiful diversity of Jesus, you know, preaching to crowds, shouting repentance, you know, really in the vein of, of John the Baptist, uh, camel-clad John the Baptist, right? And at the same time, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom that he's bringing, you know, scandalously sharing a well with a Samaritan. And, and this is something interesting, rebuffing the insincere with questions and commandments, those questioners about uh, trying to uh, trap him, whether questions about divorce, questions about taxes, um, and, and he rebuffs them. What about the time that he says to the man that wants to follow him, let the dead bury the dead, you come follow me. Or, um, you know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but you follow me, you have nowhere to lay your head. The variety of Jesus' approach, sometimes more confusing than beautiful. If you've ever read the account um, in Matthew 15 with the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus, uh, she asks for healing. And Jesus says, is it, is it fitting to give um, the bread to the children's bread to dog, to little, little dogs or, or some of the translated puppies. And, and she says, well, yes, Lord, but even, even the, the little dogs can eat the crumbs that fall on Jesus. Uh, commends her faith. What was it in her? I think we try and figure this account out. Right? Like, what was Jesus trying to say? But um, I think a question to ask is what was it? Um, what was it that Jesus saw in her um, that conditioned the way that he presented, presented this? Um, one more. What about the woman in John 8? Again, caught, it, caught in adultery, um, maybe trapped uh, in adultery. And what does Jesus say? Four spiritual laws. Um, have you kept the commandments? No, he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and don't sin anymore. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. I want to tell you, I have met people that needed to hear that God doesn't condemn them. And, you know, there are people that are lost and rebellious and running from God that, and, um, or are self-deceived that need to hear uh, the spirit needs to convict them of, of sin, of righteousness and judgment, like it says in Romans. But there are also people that are, that are broken and that are condemned and that aren't in a relationship with God, but, are, but that are um, that are the oppressed and, and, and are really struggling with shame and brokenness. And they need to hear, neither do I condemn you. Go and don't sin anymore. So some may respond. This gets to our, our kingdom sort of message. Uh, I didn't mention John 7, 37, the feast. Jesus stands up in the feast and says, come to me. Um, I rivers of living water. But I want to move on here. Just leave these scriptures up. Some have, may respond, and I think some people have said, well, 
Jesus hadn't died yet as an atonement, but risen from the dead. So he couldn't have preached the gospel the way Paul did, by which they probably mean the, the real way to preach the gospel. The problem is that the gospel writers, this was amazing to me in surveying the gospels, constantly, repeatedly portray Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. This isn't a surprise to you all, but if you read through it, it you can't help but, but see it. Jesus preached the gospel. We need to look at him and preach the gospel that he preached so that we can reach the people that he wants us to reach. Um, Jesus says that it is for this purpose that he came to preach the gospel. The spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach the good news. So we need to look at Jesus first and foremost. And anyone claiming to do it better takes on themselves a pretty amazing presumption. And I certainly don't want to be in that place. What was it that influenced Jesus's variety of language and approach? Because while we don't want to distill things down to a method, when we share with people and, and give the message to people, we don't want to distill things down to a script. But we want to be like Jesus, right? So we want to know what he did. So what can we do? You know, maybe there aren't words that we need to say, a script that we should follow. But how can we walk and follow Jesus in this way? Several years ago when I, um, when I wrote this, I thought of two things. First of all, listen to people. Because as we are following Jesus, now, Jesus, John says, needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now, we don't have the clarity always that Jesus had in perfect communion with the Father, but we do have an ability to, to listen to people, and it is through that that the Holy Spirit can help us to understand their situation, understand the message that they are, um, that they need to hear. I I was working one day. I had an office job in the States for a while, and our copier was broken, which uh, happened. And um, it was broken almost more than it worked. Uh, maybe that's not quite it. But we, we called in uh, a guy to fix it. He came in. He's working on it. It was a young guy. And um, came into my office. We were looking at software on my computer. I noticed he had a tattoo on his hand between his thumb and his finger and um, had initials on it. And we were talking, uh, and we got into, this was more recently, this was since I've been trying to re reorient myself to, uh, to listening to people. He started talking about Mennonites, <laughs> and uh, which he knew we were, and um, that's my background, by the way. This was Mennonite. And we started talking about spiritual journey, and he was incredibly open. He, he shared with me um, that he used to be a Christian, and then he started asking some questions. Well, I, um, I've struggled with, with a lot of doubt as well in my faith journey. That's a story for a different time, but we, we started talking about that. And, um, and eventually he shared what started it all. And it was that two or three years ago, his, or two or three years prior to that, his dad 
had committed suicide. And they were really close, him and his dad. Um, that's what started him struggling with the goodness of God and, and these things. I don't know what his background was before that. And then I asked him what his tattoo, <laughs> what his tattoo meant and the initials on his hand were his dad's initials. And we talked for a while. Um, I prayed for him. Um, just an incredibly open and sensitive young guy. I still pray um, for him. But it is in this way, by listening to people, that the Holy Spirit um, can help us to know what kind of message they need. Um, and that's the second thing, really, is listening to the Holy Spirit. And that is how Jesus knew what was in man and his relationship with the Father. And so we need to, more than following the script, um, to be open to the Spirit's leading, because people can present a front, and it can be actually hard to really know what's going on inside, and it's at that point um, that God can give us insight into what the person needs to hear, maybe in ways that we don't even realize. Um, And so listen to people and listen to the Holy Spirit. Paul Tillich, the Christian philosopher said that the first duty of love is to listen. So as we fulfill the great commandment to love our neighbor, and to uh, first great commandment to love the Lord our God, and second to love our neighbor, um, our first duty is to listen so that we can reach people. Let's see, I've got three minutes, so we're going to skip over Paul. And this presentation in Acts, but it's also an amazing case study in cultural sensitivity compared with powerful presentation of the gospel. Go, go ahead. 17. You can feel free to go ahead, Zach, and, and share that. Okay. <laughs> okay, sure. So yeah. Paul in Acts 17, um, addressing the Areopagus, um, he, no, no, I scrolled past you. So he starts by saying something really interesting for a Jew to say to a bunch of pagans. He says, I see that in every way you are very religious. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how many Jews would have been willing to say that, to be that generous. Maybe a touch of sarcasm if you study the culture. Um, the philosophers in um, Athens may have chuckled at that, at knowing the religious hypocrisy of their people. But Again, Paul, at least on the face, being very generous. Um, D.A. Carson, again, points out Paul's vocabulary is actually, uh, when he talks about um, the story of, of God's creation of the world and, and taking, especially the creation of the world, he uses terms that are, are very familiar to Stoic philosophers, which Stoicism was, was very much there in, in Athens, as I understand anyway. And the... Um, the vocabulary is, is appropriate to his hearers. But then D.A. Carson says, but then at the level of the sentence of at the level of the sentence of the paragraph, Paul is saying exactly what he wants to say. And so he's communicating the gospel, the story of God through history, and uh, showing, beginning with showing respect at seeing this idol to an unknown God, um, but then presenting gospel and the resurrection and speaking of judgment really at the end. Um, but showing an ability to, to know the culture he was reaching and to speak in their language in a sense. Um, 
and I think a model for us as we look at, at reaching people who are, especially people who are post-Christian. Um, also, one thing to note is to compare Acts 17 with, I think it's Acts 12. Paul himself, um, when he presents the message to Jews who know the Torah, the Torah, the Tanakh, the story, he presents it in a very different way than he does um, to the pagans in, um, in Athens and um, so the message does not change. Uh, the ultimate message does not change. Paul warns the Athenians of, of coming judgment, but it takes on very different tones and even different language in some sense um, to communicate to the audience. Um, and so a couple of things to note there. Uh, another thing to note, Paul was ridiculed as a babbler by some of the philosophers. So doing things well does not mean that your message will be accepted. It's something I um, maybe had to wrestle with. What have I done wrong? What have I done right? And what does the what do the results mean? So I critique methods and messages. I hope we've looked enough at Jesus. And and like I said, I came to this point of um, listen to people, listen to the Holy Spirit. It was really a blessing for me then, several years later, to read Watchman Nee's book and. <laughs> Because Watchman Nee, it's always great when somebody says the exact same thing and you can feel like you're standing on solid ground. You can come up with this. And that's a good feeling for me anyway. Watchman Nee, a Chinese church leader um, from the 19th century, I believe, said this. Whenever men came to the Lord, this is in his book, this is in his book, The Release of the Spirit. So whenever men came to the Lord in the Gospels, he spoke a suitable word to them. This is amazing. The Lord did not speak to the Samaritan woman about the truth of regeneration. Neither did he speak to Nicodemus about the living water. How fitting. To those who had never followed him, he issued a call. To those who wanted to follow him, he spoke of bearing the cross. To those who volunteered, he spoke of counting the cost. To those who were hesitant to follow, he spoke of letting the dead bury the dead. The Lord has a suitable word for everyone because he knows everyone. And I want to close here with an encouragement for you. If you haven't been involved in ministry, if you haven't, are discouraged. Uh, this was really comforting to me as I struggled with how far uh, I have been from, from the, the way that Jesus was able to communicate to people. Watchman Nee also says this. Our Lord is far ahead of us in dealing with men. We are following him only from a distance. Although we are following at a distance, we still have to follow. The direction has to be the same. May the Lord be merciful to us so that we may learn to know men as he does. And um, it, is, it is doing this with a, a heart to follow Jesus that um, we're able to walk with him in these places of sharing and share him with those um, who don't know him. So um, that is all I have. And I suppose I'll turn it over to Brian. Thank you so much, uh, Zach, for taking us on your journey there. Um, that was really um, challenging and, and powerful. He also gave us some resources, the Foles Talk, uh, or Foles Talk, 
Um, and I definitely want to, uh, get that book and add it to my stack. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I think it's just so important that we have these conversations. Uh, it's, it's so easy for us to look for a formula, um, for a, you know, several step process and then, then try to, or a cookie cutter way, or even, you know, uh, somehow think that, um, as Anabaptist, we, we don't really have it, you know, it's, um, somehow it's the Ray Conference that, that got it figured out and to, um, kind of pull that back, um, help us to see maybe the, how impoverished really impoverished may I say that message is and help us see the flourishing way of, of following Jesus and, and, and relating to people, um, as Jesus would. And, and that's, that's the challenge. Uh, and it's the way too that you're, you're, you're pointing to of more of the story. Um, and, and I think that we all know here and Zach, you would agree that that story is, is way more than just, um, words, right. But it's actually showing and proclaiming. And I think that as an Anabaptist people, we've, we've been deeply, that, that we deeply believe that the importance of that. Um, but so many times we, um, we're, we're not, we're, we're not able then to actually engage intellectually and really, um, as you know, I was just reading as on, on Amazon, the, the, about that book folds talk and, 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 and being able to interact with people, understanding where the, the worldviews, where they're coming from and actually, um, really, flip the tables on them and help them to see, you know, their inconsistencies. And, you know, and that's some of the things I, I face at, at our cafe with, with atheists and uh, other religions is, is actually being able to engage intellectually with them. And so I, that's one of our burdens here with strength to strength is to um, um, sharpen our brains, right. Um, to really help us to know how, to engage with these people and to have that confidence and pull them into a story and be able to tell that story uh, and also not capitulate or not, um, you know, uh, trade it, you know, give her a birth right away uh, for a pot of porridge, but really um, say as, as the kingdom message is the message and it can't be boiled down into, you know, a three point formula. So I really appreciate what you shared here. Um, you know, I was, screenshotting some of the some of your slideshow along the way the first duty of love is to listen and i uh, think about you know jesus is such a beautiful example of that we know that he spent three years you know on a giant camping trip across israel with 12 disciples um I, i'm sure he did a lot of you know a lot of listening um in that time um <clears throat> listen to people listen to the holy spirit and I thought, too, about how that means two things. Um, it means keeping my mouth shut, right? Listening, two ears, one mouth. Uh, and then also time. That takes time. And uh, yes. that means just sitting with people and listening, time. Uh, and that's something that, you know, as Americans, as, as Western people, we, do, we just, we want to microwave. Um, 
get out and get out in the streets, you know, have that little slot for evangelism and hand out 300 tracks and feel really good about it. You know, we, we got our revenge. No, no, it's, it's time. Um, so yeah, not, not really any questions for you. I'll be open to upright shortly for the other brothers here, uh, right now off my mind, but, um, but just comments, just really I'll just say that was, Go ahead. I'll just say that was the biggest conviction that I went under when studying Jesus was, was listening in, in this sense that, I mean, I've read a lot of apologetics books and I engaged that side of it. And, but what I eventually tended to do, even if it wasn't, you know, if I moved past relying on a script was to go into sort of, I call it lawyer mode <laughs> and, and really trying to present the, um, especially to, to say um, atheists or agnostics who are questioning the existence of God to present it um, as, as argument. And um, often there are people that need that, uh, but I was so convicted of, and really the Lord brought to my mind encounters that I had where it was really in um, hearing people's stories um, that uh, I talked to one, to one guy um, who uh, we started talking, no, he's not a Christian. And I asked why. And he just said, um, well, because he's bisexual, and he can't be a Christian if he's bisexual. Um, <laughs> it's interesting to me that he just felt like, you know, automatically he knew that. Um, but so, so what did he need to hear? That God is against, you know, his, his, his lifestyle or his sexual orientation? Well, it seemed like he actually already knew that the Bible is against that. He had been in the Catholic background. What he needed to hear, I think, I thought in looking back at that, and what I shared with him was about the God who created him, about what, what God has done, uh, how God is not far from him, as, as Paul says in Acts, um, and how his creator had, that that was a more important relationship than anything else, and maybe he should think about that before that. And so, yeah, uh, um, not everybody needs to hear the same message and listening instead of going into volume mode was a big conviction. That I that I felt in studying Jesus. Sure, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, so we had a question come in. I'll be opening this up shortly, just for the for um, questions from the, from you all. But we had a question come in here via Zoom. Um, he said, and, and this is Calvin Yoder saying, "I've heard of others speaking as you did of seeing little fruit coming from great comfort, etc." Do you feel you have seen better fruit come as you have come to use better methods? that that's a good question um i think i think the best conversations that i have had were early on in my in my journey so god had really worked in my life it actually absolutely changed my life again a, a story for another time uh, and i was out sharing with people and and just this sensitivity to people uh, i would talk to people in the night markets here and um, i remember one young man just almost in tears um at um, where, he, where, he, where he was with the Lord. And so in answer to that question, yes, like the story I told about the guy at work and maybe a more organic way of, of reaching people, um, trying to listen to people, I've had better conversations. And those are more like the conversations I had before relying on some of these methods. And more like, again, in, in through this whole journey, I still, what I would try to pursue was you know, following up with going out for coffee or something with someone. And that's where a lot of those meaningful conversations really happen. So um, I, I believe very strongly that, you know, 
we need to preach the gospel to strangers as well, not just to our friends, but, but it is often through the relationships and through that listening that, that I've had the most. Um, sure. Conversations with. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, um, and, and, and as we talk about this, it's just, it takes time for, for, for us to, to, to draw people in, you know, especially in, in post-Christian world that we live in, you know, we don't no longer can assume, as you point out earlier, that people understand the Christian worldview. Um, and also, as someone pointed out too, that people were inoculated to Christianity. Either they've, they've just seen some bad, bad presentations of it, and especially here, you know, we, yeah, it's just a reality. And so to actually show people a different way and then and tell people a different way just takes time. I think about um, we have a, a gentleman who comes into to our cafe. He's an atheist. He's been coming out for almost five years and he and I become good friends. I've mentioned before on this talk and um, good friends were back and forth with, with he and his family and our family. But I remember you were talking about the, the street preacher who was or on college campus that was yelling at the students. And I remember when you said that a couple of years ago, he came in quite frustrated in the cafe and uh, we got talking and he said that uh, there was down campus. There's two street preachers just yelling at the students, the students are yelling at them. And he was just angry about that. And he told me, he said, you all here have such a different way about living out your faith. And I love it. I, I love it. And what's interesting is he's an advocate for us on, on different like atheist groups where people say, Hey, I, I'm thinking about going to sellers. Are they kind of in your face people there? I see their Christian place, you know, and until he tells me about it, these conversations he has where he's, saying, no, they'll respect you there. <laughs> Anyhow, it, I, you know, how do we, you know, I, I, you know uh, yeah, how can I draw him in? I, I don't have lots of answers, um, but I do know that I think, as you pointed out, as you look at the gospel as a way of Jesus, it's not to the atheist, to the, the sinner um, normally. And, and, and yeah, and uh, you can be a nasty competition. And we can be really uh, direct or, or maybe uh, this is maybe even subversive in that. If, uh, you'll see that a lot yeah. um, in, in big cities or on, the, on campuses. What I've done is go downstream. I would go downstream from the person and try to talk to people like, hey, did you see this guy? What do you think? And um, uh, if, if you would see the faces of people that walk past that, those you know, sidewalk prophets, and, and how turned off they are to what they think the gospel is. Um, you would know how ineffective that method is, but we can do something subversive to still try and reach these people, take time out of your day and uh, strike up conversations with people. Cause guess what? Now they're thinking about this topic. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're um, in a different frame of mind, they, they, they're often open to talking. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, thanks. Yeah. Any questions from the, the ones here in the car? For Zach. Yes. Good morning, Zach. Um, I have incredible appreciation for your presentation here. And um, I've also thought quite a bit about methods and comparing it to um, Jesus' actual ways and of evangelism. And um, I have a question for you about literature um, so it seems like 
literature, having something to hand the stranger to have them take with them and ponder would be really valuable. And now that I think about comparing that with Jesus method, I don't think he did that, but um, (laughs) it seems like a, a valuable thing, but a lot of the literature we have to do that with is based on some of these other methods. And so um, in the past, I've pondered how to write a summary of the kingdom gospel um, that would be able to present in a concise way and actually tried writing something along that line here about, oh, I don't know, a year or two ago. And as an inspiration that came to me, I thought it was of the Lord and um, tried to get it down and intended to really find a way to make this, to develop this, get some help to develop it and make it and publish it. And um, I got to be friends with Dan Weeks here on this call over that time. And Dan, I haven't talked to you about this for a long time. I don't know where you are on the idea of illustrating it, but um, anyway, I'm just, I have a question for you, Zach. Um, How do you see, the idea of having a track to present in light of needing to be sensitive to the person and the unique way we need to share it with each person. Um, literature doesn't really lend itself to that as well. Yeah. I've also done a lot of that off and on uh, tracks uh, using tracks or pamphlets. Um, I have pretty much stopped that. Um, not because I think it's uh, mainly for me because um, I I haven't found a track that presents things in quite the way that <clears throat> quite as full of gospel as I would like to see. So I'd love to see what you've got written. But along with that, um, I think so. I think the usefulness of tracks often they weren't even going out and actively handing them out sometimes started conversations. Um, but it wasn't as effective as some people say uh, for me anyway. And I think they're less and less effective. One thing that, but we need a way, and this is what I'm thinking about. We need a way to, um, to approach people that isn't, um, that doesn't make them, you know, they're not looking for the catch. What I've been trying to do is find a way to have people approach me. So, ways that people have done that that i've gone along with or they had a you know painting presentation of the gospel so people would gather around or they had um some word puzzle games related to spirituality on a on a board that people would would look out and i think my favorite uh, a friend of mine in cincinnati would go out um with a cart and a whole bunch of bibles that he would get donated and then obviously a lot of people pass you by you might have fewer conversations but the people that do come up, you don't have to break that initial wall. And so I, I found that was a really good method. Uh, he was Church of Christ. And I did appreciate, he had a couple tracks with him. I did appreciate those tracks a little more than maybe some of the mainstream evangelical ones. Uh, although some of us may have disagreements or maybe are excited about the way that Church of Christ believes on some things like uh, baptism and things like that. But uh, I felt it was a little fuller gospel so that's one thing i've ever entertained but i think there are other ways to begin conversations with people and even have them approach us that i want to start utilizing 
but I think are more effective than, uh, and hey, giving people Bibles, but um, can be more effective than that. So um, that's where I'm leaning towards at this point, but I'd love to see what you have written up. Can I add something? You talked about going downstream and, and talking to people. What do you think of that guy? Go downstream of your track getting and see what happens to them. A lot of them end up in the trash. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that too. They don't even I'd go like, far downstream. I'd like to share an, an anecdote uh, that points up the artificiality of evangelical evangelism formula. I have a friend who went to Moody Bible Institute way back in the 70s. And he came across a, um, an evangelism manual that must have been contemporaneous with D.L. Moody. And in this manual, it instructs the evangelist to uh, approach the subject, take a posture that's somewhere between a squat and a kneel, place the left hand on the right shoulder of the subject, grasp the subject's right hand with your right hand, Look up to into his eyes and fix your gaze on him and say, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? <laughs> Can you imagine actually doing something like that? <laughs> of course, this was the, 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 the 19th century. I think, so uh, things may have been a little bit different. That's pretty wild. <laughs> That is maybe one of the first techniques I have not tried. So. Um, there's oh, a question the that two, came in. The two points I... Go ahead, Tony. Sorry. Uh, the two points I took away was just simply, Jesus knows our story, right. and then he gave us good news in relation to our story. And so, yeah, just the challenge is to know, to know people and then give them good news. Yes. Okay. Um, a question came in from Earl. He said, how do you incorporate prayer into your conversations? Do you find prayer with your listeners a helpful way to communicate? That's a good question. Like I said, my first experience was my friend Tyler dragging me out to the markets and he would go, so he was, he'd go pray for healing for people. So anybody he could find in a wheelchair with a cast or any ailment, we were there and he was praying for him. Uh, <laughs> I didn't, we didn't see many humans. Uh, but uh, I think it can be, I think it can be very effective. I definitely don't do it every time. And, but in trying to be more sensitive, there are sometimes where I'll go up to somebody and just start by asking if I can pray for them. <laughs> but that's, that's definitely not often how I start or always how I start conversations. So yeah, I definitely think that can be very meaningful for people. I probably tend to do it more with people that have some sort of religious background, Cincinnati, a lot of Catholic background. Um, and if I know that they're comfortable with that, but um, it wouldn't have to be that. I mean, that's what I've found that Sure. All yeah. students sometimes a little more weirded out, depending. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's interesting. Um, I, I, um, 
I think I, I believe prayer is very important. And, you know, a, a family that's gets, gets their meal at a restaurant and bows their head for prayer, I think is an incredible proclamation. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest. Um, there, there have been times where I've sat down with someone at Sowers that I've intentionally wanted to get to know, and I have not prayed from a meal. And I've, and the reason I haven't is because I felt like they were so on edge about who I am. And then we try to force feed them some kind of spiritual message. There's, they're just, their, their walls are up, whether it be the Muslim or whether it be, um, you know, whether it be an atheist uh, or someone that don't even know exactly where they're at. And, and so I, I haven't went there. I've just kept it maybe more superficial to first, just get to know them and listen to them. Um, you know, I've heard people say, you got to preach in prayer and, uh, you know, and there's probably place and times for that, but maybe, maybe sometimes you just can tell that this just might really set them farther on edge. They think, oh, this is, this is why you wanted to meet with me because you just want to, you know, force your message down. I don't know. Some people might, might write me off for that. Um, but I have to be honest, that's, I haven't always, um, even went there the first time people, people just are so tired maybe of, of that couple minute, you know, evangelism, evangelistic message. It's an idea. So, okay. Uh, well it is, uh, 10 after seven here. Any other quick question for Zach? Um, Zach it's about your supper time over there. We'll, we'll, we'll get this uh, wrapped up here quick. Um, and any other questions for a brother? Okay. All right. Um, with Zach, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Patrick wanted to know if, if you could see some screenshots of your PowerPoint. Um, and I'm wondering if we couldn't just attach your PowerPoint to the web page as a PDF. Is that something we could do, Zach? Okay. Yes. Um, Should I send that to you? Yeah, you can just email it to me um, and I'll get it to Glenn and he'll attach it right to the page where this audio will be. Um, so we can download, look at it and, and whatever. Um, so thank you everybody, um, who on here this morning. Thank you for your questions. Um, may God bless you, uh, richly and Zach, I'm going to have you close in prayer here just in a moment, but just a quick announcement about next week. Um, next Saturday, we're going to do something that we haven't done for about a year and a half, probably, or more. And that is not have a zoom call here at strength, strength, um, Next Saturday, numbers will be at Kingdom Fellowship Weekend, and so this this uh, platform will be silent. Um, <clears throat> we will be just dropping a link on here to for those who are interested. You can zoom in and live via live stream uh, and be part of the messages that will be preached there at that weekend. But this this platform will be will be silent uh, next Saturday morning. Uh, so Zach, could you just close out in prayer, please? Yes, that's great. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you, um, your message is to, to preach the gospel um, to those that are bound, um, recovery of sight to those that are blind. God, we, uh, we ask you to forgive us where we have been unfaithful when your spirit prompted us um, to speak to someone or when we haven't listened to your spirit. Um, in, in engaging with someone, and I pray that you would help. Um, I pray that you would help my critique of methods this morning to not discourage any uh, of us as brothers here, 
mm-hmm. from from sharing with people and from starting conversations with people. And I pray that as we as we uh, that we could follow you, even um, as it was said from a distance, we're, uh, we're learning from you, Lord. And we need your grace and help us to follow you in inviting people into your kingdom. To help our lives and our way and our conversation to be an invitation to people into this kingdom and something that people can't miss and give us the words uh, to speak in those times. I pray that you bless each one of these brothers um, as they go through this week and give us um, your eyes and your heart for this world in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Zach, and grace and peace. Thank you all. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.